You just said so many like fun and funny things before we hit record. That's what we do. That's what we do. We're basically sitting <laughs> the- here um, because I'm stressed about this episode because I'm super nervous because... I don't, I feel like I'm exposing myself or something. (laughs) Oh, you're going to be super naked. (laughs) Welcome to What the Hell. It's good to see your face on FaceTime. It's good to see yours. If you're new here, we are a podcast hosted by two best friends in our 30s who had a super religious upbringing, specifically evangelical Christian, and we talked about that all last week about what that means. So we found each other um, in this amazing city we call home, which is Los Angeles. And although, yes, for LA, (laughs) what is closed down right now, but we still love you. Yeah. Even though we've left a lot of what we were taught behind, it still informs a lot of who we are and how we interact with the world today. So it comes up all the time, whether we want it to or not. It's kind of just Mm -hmm. a part of our DNA at this point. So you can catch up on some more of that if you head back to episodes one and two. There's a little more of our background there. Yes. And if you're starting here and you want to start here and nobody's going to tell you what to do and you're not (laughs) going back to episodes one and two, um, we would at least say maybe go back to episode 24 last week. Mm -hmm. Um, We laid the groundwork for what we're going to talk about today. And um, that groundwork is about what we were taught to believe growing up, specifically in terms of faith and religion. So um, what we're getting into this week has been kind of a long time coming. It's a meaty topic. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we're getting into not just what we were taught to believe, but what we no longer believe and why. Like the things in our paths that kind of sent us down a different fork in the road. You'll also notice this format is going to be a little bit different from prior episodes. Um, Most are super conversational, (laughs) and this one will be too, but we're really going to focus on Brittany's story this week um, and her faith journey. Mm. And um, yeah, next time we'll talk about mine. So it's just going to sound a little bit different, but... um, just want to give you the, yeah. the rundown, the download before we get going. Oh, and I don't even know if we told you. I'm Tiffany. This voice is Tiffany. Yes, and I'm Brittany, <laughs> and we're glad to have you here. So this is definitely um, something that's hard to talk about. Like, I love talking about this with my friends, but putting it out there is kind of like the last step of really exposing um, me stepping away from the church and what that's looked like over the years and how I got there. So bear with me if it feels like maybe I sound nervous or if whatever. I have no idea what this is going to sound like because we've never done this before. So Totally. And what is your like main nervous behavior? Do you have like a thing you do that like you self-recognize? Um, I mean, I can definitely tell it in my voice, but I'm trying to think if I have like an actual – like I fidget with my hands, but I feel like I do that even when I just talk. So I'm trying to think if there's – I don't know. You, you're I my think, best well, I think, what, do, what do I do when I'm nervous? I will tell you. I will tell you what you do. Um, well, for me, I'll tell you, I yawn when oh, I get nervous. Yes. So like before we even started recording tonight, I'm just over here openly yawning. <laughs> I'm not tired at all. I actually have great energy. I had a late day cup of coffee. I had a midday nap. Nice. Like I'm ready to go. But I 
I nervously yawn. Mm. It's a it's a funny, strange thing I do. I do it in important meetings with important people. Oh, really? Um, yes. Oh my god, I the, the like, yawns oh. I have stifled. <laughs> no, 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 Brittany. It's like that thing where your mouth gets long but it stays closed. <laughs> Like vertically long. Um, But for you, I think that the thing that you might do is you want to say it exactly right. So you're a start stopper. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a problem with that no matter what with this podcast because I I have I'm married to a a wonderful man who's very eloquent. And I am also friendship married to Tiffany, who is also (laughs) super eloquent. And so. I will speak my mind on things, but if I, because this is being recorded, it's like, now it sounds like I'm speaking in tongues, but like, you know, it's, (laughs) I can't get my words out. And so I'm like, let me try this way. Oh, no. Oh, let me try this way. No. You reroute. I love it. I think it's great though. I think it's like major conversational self-awareness is what that is, is to go like, no, I started saying it this way, but what I mean is this way. I think it's fantastic. Well, sure, we'll yeah. go with that. So so if you start, stop, and I yawn, it's not because I'm bored. <laughs> We're just like, oh, this is a really uncomfortable co- topic right now. But Exactly. I'm like, oh, my God, our dads are going to listen to this. I know. And what's, Which what's can crazy, we say we love our dads? Yeah, we do love our dads. And what I will say is that, like, I feel like this could sound like so not a big deal to a lot of people and kind of going like, oh, woo, you're like exposing your like leaving Christian culture. But it's a big deal in our family because as we've said a million times in this podcast, we grew up like our dads were pastors. Like this was our yeah. life. So it was not just something where we were like, oh, whatever. We just stopped going to church at one point as a family. It's like, no, this is still actively my parents profession so yeah vocation everything and belief system and all of that and so it is a big deal it's a big deal for us um Brittany tell us everything like just start (laughs) at the beginning tell me about your mother's pregnancy how did that go for her her pregnancy with you you know it was apparently very difficult but you know I came out well the Lord knew you the Lord knew you in the womb in our womb yes or he there's yeah oh (laughs) actually well I'll get to this in a second maybe I'll say it now since we're like about to dive in before I kind of start describing my childhood and like kind of just take it from there Let me just give you the caveat, all the disclaimers that I am not going to be quoting Bible verses to deconstruct my theology on this podcast in the sense of like really laying it out there of exactly how I got from point A to point B. This is going to be more about experiences, um, Mm. books I read, things I watched, people I was around. So this is not going to be like if you're looking for like in 1 Corinthians, blah, blah, blah. And this is why I disagree. Like that's not going to happen. Right. This is going to be the story about like how how I slowly became, and I'm going to use a word that people bumped up against in the first episode, but how, what I would say slowly became enlightened. And what I just mean by that is like, literally, I it was like my eyes were opened. I learned things that I had never learned before. And it was sort of like, once you see, you can no longer unsee. Mm-hmm. Enlightened would maybe imply that like, then everybody else is in the dark, which is in one degree how I see it but for me it's just also been a learning journey and so that's all my disclaimers going into this is yeah Yeah, so I feel like what you're saying is (laughs) I can't (laughs) say this with a straight face (laughs) say it I feel like what you're trying to say is this is a story you know all about how (laughs) I don't even know where your life got flipped turned upside down (laughs) 
I'm so sorry. Is, is the story I'm so sorry, everyone. I'm not. I'm not sorry at all. But you said that. You said this is a story, and I was like, well, all about how her yeah. life got flipped, turned upside down. Okay. Um, but that that's also accurate. Uh, and this is such a flip, man. Yes. With those things that you were taught to believe, Brittany. Yes. When <laughs> this is such a hard question. Did you always believe what you were taught when you were taught it? Um, I would say generally growing up, I, I, yes, the answer would, the straight answer would be yes. Um, I was, um, as a refresher, like I'm the oldest of four. I was, uh, always felt like I was having to set the example. I was the rule follower. I did good in school. I was the people pleaser. So like when it came to religion, I mean, I ate it all up. But I will say at the same time, I was always a very curious child. So like I always had this very like sciencey natured brain. And so I remember from I can I can still see being like younger than Beckett, like five or six years old and learning about how the world was created. And, the, and then this at that time would have been like we were made 6000 years ago or however many years ago it would have been sort of the creationist theory and literally trying to process in my brain but like if there's a universe and like just I'm just that kid that like I'm always questioning things in my brain but but outside I probably wasn't doing that yet I accepted Jesus into my heart at age five and that happened at a uh, Wednesday night service, you know, what that means. Well, I'm not going to get into all of that. So what, listen to episode 24, but basically <laughs> accepting Jesus into my we heart. We already did that. We, you know, for, uh, until I was eight, I lived in the States. And so I went to, um, that's before we moved to South Africa and we, you know, went to Sunday school and Wednesday night service and Sunday morning, Sunday night, like my dad was the pastor or a youth pastor. So it was just a part of our life. I don't, I don't really remember questioning much during that age other than just having moments of like, I can see standing in front of my mom and her like speaking in tongues. I can remember like looking up because she was seemed so tall at the time to me yeah, and, and kind of trying to understand it, but like not fully understanding it at the time. Isn't that funny how your memory as a child, um, your actual literal like visual Size. perspective yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you know your visual perspective uh holds true through your memory oh yeah that's a good point the I've looking done. up like because I have the same thing yeah. I can see my mom standing above me and looking up at her you know her right shoulder from my left side and just, as a child yeah I feel like I can remember church. her arms like around me and like praying or something and just being like not understanding it and yeah so at that point I was definitely all in there was no questioning or whatever happening um got water baptized at 10 I don't remember when I would have like first been what we would call filled with the Holy Spirit because honestly like as soon as we jump into that part of things it feels very much like when some of the pretending started Mm -hmm. which we talked about in last podcast too the speaking in tongues the the being slain in the spirit falling over I definitely Maybe it, I don't know. Based on what I believe now, I don't believe that it happened. At the time, could I have been in some kind of hypnotic state? Sure. But I'm also the kind of personality where like, I'd pay money to try to get somebody to like hypnotize me, but I don't think it would happen. Like, I don't think I have that kind of like, what's the right word? Like, buy-in. Yeah, buy-in. Yeah. (laughs) Or like, I want to believe it, but like, I just can't. Like, 
Yeah, well, I think that's like the biggest thing for any type of experience like that. Even meditation on some level is that I know that they have, you know, they can prove that things are happening to you even if you don't believe it with things like meditation because you have physiological responses. Your breath slows down and those types of things. But I think if you are not the type of person who in that moment wants to believe that this is real – you know, that you, on the most visceral level, will not. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Believe it. I know, and I'm like, I want to get inside people's heads. Like, I remember thinking that of being like, I just, I I think we all think this. It's At one point, like, Curtis and I have had, and we even talked with you about this, about this argument of, like, you know, we're all a little skeptical. We're all, like, have doubts. And and I think that's true. I mean, I I remember all those moments in church looking around and trying to understand and wondering if everybody else was processing things the same way I was like mm-hmm. like are, are we all is is being filled with the Holy Spirit mean just like we decide to fall back and that's that's the decision like I don't know I was very confused by all of it yeah it's like what comes first you decide that it's okay to fall back and then you do or something makes you fall back and then you do yeah exactly so that that whole part for me was confusing I never felt comfortable with it but at the same time leading into like teenage years I was like the worship leader like at youth group I was like involved in everything you name it I was involved with it I was helped run like a dance team and like ran the worship team and all this stuff and so there was always the emotional side to it that I feel like is what really kept me pretty committed for a while because I just Mm -hmm. loved that side of it but like looking back I don't know if this was like hormones so like emotionally I'm just very susceptible to being I don't know not influenced but like but anybody would be. I mean, yeah. that, uh, yes, I think on some level, sure. Like I think hormones play into it, especially as you're coming of age and like your body is changing. There's so many, again, physiological things. Your brain is not done developing. But at the same time, like on just like a human level, not even talking about age, we are all always seeking like belonging and connection. Yeah. When I was in eighth grade, this was one of, I'm going to mention several different books as I'm talking through my experience. And one of the books that I know a lot of people read was I Kissed Dating Goodbye. And we read it in eighth grade. Before you were probably even dating. Yeah. I hadn't had a boyfriend yet. I mean, I think I had You're like, had I like haven't a, kissed. No, I hadn't kissed. <laughs> I haven't kissed and I haven't dated. Yeah. What is this book? You're like, why? Why are you doing this to me? <laughs> And it was like, there was this whole thing and then it involved this whole movement of the purity rings, which is a whole other thing. You can go back and listen to our episode about why the hell we got married at 20 years old. And there's a whole part of, you know, the purity ring and that commitment and that, and, and that being its own thing. I'm not going to get into all of that right now because it's like. is It's heavy. It's, it's heavy. Deep. It's deep. It's basically <laughs> committing your life, your, your sexuality to your future mate and. I so disagree with that at this point in my life. So, but when you were like, okay, so you're like reading these books and things. And I, I'm very aware of that book. I've never read that book. Oh, really? I never read it. Yeah. Mm -mm, No, I never did. But was it something that like you read of your own volition or was it something that like your parents uh, asked you to do or presented to you or like a youth pastor? It was Because you were young to read that book. I was young, but it was, um, so we had come back from South Africa for a year to raise money when I was in middle school. And it was, 
I, at the time I was going to a Christian, like an Assemblies of God Christian school. It was a part of like our Bible, like we had normal like math, mm-hmm. science, whatever. And then we had like Bible class. And so we read it as a book together in Bible class and would discuss it. And that then like fed into the same youth group that I went to through that church that then was having like this ring commitment night. And we're going to write down our commitment to Christ that I apparently gave to my dad. And then he read at my wedding. So it was like, oh, wow. Oh, yeah. It, it goes real yeah. deep. And I mean, the thing is, I did. I did stay. I mean, it's not even a part of the story, but like I did stay committed to that because I was so afraid of doing anything else. But it was yeah. because of that reason. I was afraid, not because I was so committed to the Lord and I couldn't see any other way. Right. It was fear, not yeah. Yeah. choice or desire or anything. Do you remember like when you read that book, do you remember openly challenging anything in it? Um, or did you even feel that you challenged anything in it, whether it was open or not? Did you feel like, oh, this is like whack or did you no, read it and you're I like, don't, oh, no, this makes sense? I think at that point I was very much like this mostly makes sense, but I think it helped that everybody around me was buying into it too. And I went to an Assemblies of God Christian school. Like I have totally. memories of there's like there was a couple kids so like a couple boys that were like methodist or something that went to the church went to the school barely christian you mean barely christian Christian, and we would be (laughs) like we gotta get them to come to youth group with us and get them really saved and it's just so silly when i think back to it now (laughs) so stupid is what it is but i remember fear being a big part of teenage years and so there was these decisions that were made because we were raised a certain way and i did totally buy into them and then it hit a point where just as you're changing preteen to teenagers hormones everything then it becomes you're starting to try to decide what's yours and what's from your parents and everything and I think a lot of the stuff I struggled with started to become fear-based and that's also because you know church talks a lot about sin and like everything's about your flaws and needing Jesus because of all these reasons Right, um, you need a savior, not a, a friend. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, we need a save, someone to save us from our wicked yeah. selves. Yeah, So it just, I, I think my questioning, although I always had a very curious brain growing up, my true questioning started in high school for sure. And I had a very good friend, one of my best friends in South Africa, and he and I would talk a lot about this stuff not and I will say when I say questioning I think at the time I wasn't necessarily questioning the existence of God it was just kind of like how we're going about all of this is this really the only way you know but then also questioning the existence of God like what if this is all just like something we've all decided to do and 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 we would have quite we would have conversations like that but then also go lead worship on, you know on a Friday night and it wasn't something oh yeah I didn't feel like we were pretending it just felt like I'm definitely questioning things but this is the only way only thing I know I mean my time spent in high school was literally like friends have since we started this podcast I've had friends reach out to me and be like oh this makes so much more sense now because I was <laughs> I was gung-ho about like inviting people to church and like well that's not true I wasn't gung-ho about inviting people to church but I would get invited to parties and that would always be my excuse. And I'd be like, well, if you want to come, you can. But I was never the gung-ho like person to invite people to church because that was just not my You're like, you want to go to a real party? You should see my church on a Sunday morning. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday I was talking through this with Curtis and he was like, he said, and Curtis was also a missionary kid. He described us as religious turduckens. 
as in like the turkey <laughs> duck chicken. Um, because, because being in South Africa, he was like, we were an American evangelical kid raised in like a mostly white sort of South African church. A lot of the churches we ended up going to somehow still had a lot of white, white people, but the school I went to was mostly black. It was all, but then we were also involved in the broader African culture while also being raised as missionary kids. So I think there's like many layers to that, but it was just a funny mm-hmm. moment he mentioned yesterday because it felt like not only were we dealing with Jesus and asking people to church and saving the souls for Africa, but it was also like dealing with culture shock and constantly not fitting into to anywhere. Like when we were in South Africa, I was the American. And then when we came to America, I was the South African or the weird, you know, there was always Oh, that's so interesting. I've never thought about the fact that when you were in South Africa, oh, she's the American girl. Oh, that was my identity. Totally. old people knew us as. So it was like, we're the American missionaries. I will also say, like, had I really wanted to question things like hardcore, I think I still would have stuck with stuck with most of it. Even if I thought it inside, I would have probably still done the motions outside because I was so afraid of disappointing my parents and clearly still am mm-hmm. because I'm struggling <laughs> doing this podcast. But it was like... But you were also culturally doing what made sense too. It's yeah. like you might care about your family and all this stuff too, but it's like your entire culture is wrapped up in church and Christianity and all that too so you're not even if you take religion away just culturally you're gonna do what you are assimilated into yeah exactly and and there were versions like I could spend hours talking about just like the differences between the South African church like there's similarities it was still an Assemblies of God church and like um, community we were involved in but I mean, there's all kinds of things there, like, to unpack. Like, I also went to a Catholic school most of the time. That was its own thing of trying to understand that, you know, I truly thought that, like, (laughs) at one point, that, like, Catholic people were going to hell because they weren't assemblies of God and they didn't have Jesus ask, they didn't say the sinner's prayer. And no, my parents didn't, like, directly tell me that, but that was what I thought and so I was like afraid oh yes girl (laughs) well Catholicism it's just it's almost Christianity it's like how Burger King is almost McDonald's (laughs) hey I love me some Burger King I exactly some people love some Catholicism exactly you know but let me tell you something funny about that about the Catholicism thing because you're right I with me too they would not openly say and they my parents other church leaders would not openly say that like Catholics are going to hell but I remember getting to a certain age I don't know I was maybe 11 or 12 and being like Mother Teresa Mother Teresa was I think Catholic whatever whatever I thought she was Catholic she was Catholic right is Mother Teresa in hell? Like she and I remember not getting a straight answer. What they would say to me was, it's "Like, Gandhi. did she accept Jesus into her heart? Mm-hmm. Did she accept Jesus into her heart?" And they would like kind of leave it at that. Well, we don't know if she did or she didn't. If she did, she's good. She's in heaven. If she didn't, she's what? not gonna say. I know it's crazy. It's crazy. I also feel like I wasn't encouraged. To question, I don't think that's something in our denomination that was a thing then. Maybe it's happening more now, and I don't know because I'm not a part of right. it now. But um, I think that the questions would always be answered with just like, you just believe, you have faith. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I remember being told things like, oh, you're being tested. It's the devil oh, yeah. testing you. It's yeah. testing your faith. You know, Jesus was tested yeah. um, by Satan. And, you know, and that is a perfectly 
fine response, religious response. Yeah. Is to say, well, look, this happened to Jesus too. He doubted things. He doubted God, his own father. Yeah. You know? Totally. So it's a really great negotiation tactic to not answer a question but to ask a question with a question which also coincidentally is something Jesus did a lot of the time (laughs) so I guess in that way they're very Christ-like yeah yeah (laughs) so you that was kind of like your time in high school yeah and now you know just coming of age like we all do (laughs) and it's time to go to college um not to answer for you but you went to a Christian college and I want to hear all about that because I did not but did you feel like you had to go to a Christian college or like was there ever another option or that was always going to be your path I feel like I was encouraged to go to a Christian school for sure my but my dad also encouraged me like just financially wise to think about like community college but I that's also like telling somebody who's been living in a foreign country to now move to a state, find an apartment, and figure out community college. So that part also felt very scary, although much more affordable. Mm-hmm. So it felt like it was the decision that I was supposed to make. So, and not... Like it was safe? Like it was safe and that they would feel comfortable knowing I was going to a school that had some rules and restrictions and... They're in alignment with how they, you know, I was parented and taught. So I went to a Assemblies of God Christian University, started off at Evangel. And honestly, it was like being at youth group. Like there was parts of it that I really liked. It was small enough where I felt like I was able to settle in and kind of just acclimate to the American culture. Um, It was kind of shocking in some degrees for me. But then there was the whole religious side of it where, you know, we had to take Bible classes. We had to take, go to chapel several times a week. And it was, what was hard for me was that it really, I also had to work the whole time in order to support myself. So I felt like I didn't get in as deep as I probably could have just like socially with people, which honestly looking back may have been the best decision ever because it kind of kept me at arm's length a little bit from some of it. And it made me Mm. always kind of, I don't know, I was really starting to question, like, is this the only way to do things? And when I say the only way, like, I wasn't, again, wasn't questioning the existence of God. It was just like, I've only ever known Assemblies of God. Is this really, like, the only way to do Christianity? Or is this the best way? Mm And the right way, because I think like when you really get deep down into, you know, how we were raised, you know, there's that underlying current, at least in my experience, where just like what we were hitting on with Catholicism, even within the evangelical church, there was an element of, but we're a little bit more right Mm. and we're worried about them. Yes. We're worried about the rest of them. Always. We're worried about the Baptists. We're worried about the Methodists. Like, we think they're, like, you know, it's really personal. It's, you know, it, are they on their walk? And are they saved in the way that we think you have to be saved? And and what the hell does having a personal relationship <laughs> with Jesus even mean? Like, I'm oh asking. God. Like, what does that mean? Because <laughs> I, I don't know. Up until this point, you know, even, so I'm college age now. I always struggled with, prayer just in general on my own like if I wasn't Mm -hmm. at church being asked to pray or like with family or something like Mm -hmm. 
prayer wasn't happening on my own rarely. Uh, reading the Bible was not happening on my own. It was just, it became a thing where it's like, I I always was jealous of of people who, in quotes, got saved at in like high school because they seemed like super on fire for God and like super oh, yeah. passionate about it. And I just didn't, I was just like all, I can quote every sermon my dad has said. I am, I've heard these stories 5,000 times. I don't care anymore. Like it just feels like, what's the point you know but I oh wasn't my gosh, like I can relate so much yeah and I wasn't I wasn't like again questioning leaving the faith I was just like I was just over it I, it was like I just don't I'm just so tired of the same stuff over and over and over again and that's what it felt like evangel was oh totally and kids who you know got saved as teenagers or young adults or whatever it's like oh you actually may have gotten saved from something it's like i was born into this i don't know what i'm supposed to be saved from what i would have done i'm be am i being saved from what i would have done and i need to repent of what i might have done yeah if i was not a christian so i i I totally understand that like seeing those other kids and being like why do they have some experience that i don't have yeah because i didn't i never understood that of this sort of like being on fire for christ because it felt like anybody that also grew up with me like in the same way as me i would secretly be questioning are are you just putting Mm -hmm. this on or but then i would also be like maybe they really do feel that way and uh, something's wrong with me because I just was really struggle with it. And uh, by this yeah. point, at, back in high school, Curtis and I started dating. And I, I remember we would talk about this a little bit, but we were even joking about it yesterday. I remember being in high school and him talking about wanting to be a youth pastor. And I thought that was like the hottest thing in the world because I was like, oh, yeah, I want to marry a, a youth pastor. <laughs> It, oh, Brittany, I, I felt like I was called to. It's like the equivalent. Oh, yes. This is so, but this is like the equivalent of like, you know, Pacey on Dawson's Creek, like <laughs> hooking up with his like high school teacher. It's like the, you know, teenage girl wants to marry a youth pastor. It's a yeah. fantasy. Yeah. It was, it, yeah. It's, and it's so just immoral and distasteful. I know. <laughs> and well, and they're just like, yeah, you felt called. Like, oh, that word. It's just like, ugh. Um, so... I would say that leaving Evangel, as I'm sure if you asked my parents or anybody else, would probably say that that maybe triggered. That was like the big trigger, I think, for me. Um, and, and we didn't leave because of God or Jesus or anything of the sort. It was purely financial. And also we got married. <laughs> and so what that did for me, though, leaving Evangel at the time. You went for two years? I went to Evangel for two years and then okay. left and went to Missouri State. And I was a physics major. And so I had a ton of science classes. And what started happening was it's I feel like some of this is going to sound so naive. It was like we were in a hedge maze like our whole lives where all you can see is just, like, the tallest, like, hedges all around you, and you just kind of keep, like, going and moving around and not really getting anywhere, trying to figure it out, and slowly, like, you were being lifted or you grew, and then you start to realize, like, this little maze is just a part of, like, a giant-ass, I don't know, world, like, a minuscule part of this huge world, and you, but you had no idea, like, you had no idea, and I felt so dumb when I started to hear some of the stuff that I learned in college regardless of whether it was like left-leaning or right-leaning or whatever doesn't matter it was just a new is there like a specific example of something like that that you recall so this is not a religious example but for example I went I had a yeah I was hoping it wouldn't be it's not a religious (laughs) example but I went to like a I don't remember what the class was called it was like 
ecology or something like a generic science, like sort of life science class. And it was all about like um, learning about conservation and we would go visit all these like small businesses that were doing like recycling and all just just kind of cool. And it was also where I learned the term dun 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 global warming. <laughs> oh, um, and I remember just finding it all so fascinating. And I wasn't like I had drank the Kool-Aid, even though my dad probably thought that's what happened. But I remember coming home. We had just gotten married. We came home for Christmas and I was telling my dad, like, all about what I was had been learning. And my dad and I will get into debates. And I, I'm sure from his perspective, I seemed like a 20-year-old, like, I don't know, maybe being brainwashed college kid or just, like, you know, buying into whatever the latest thing is that I've read. But it was just, mm-hmm. like, when I'm talking about being enlightened, it was more just, like, I was such a student. Like, I just would sap up all the stuff that I could learn. And I was blown away at how naive I felt of not understanding the the bigger world that was out there because everything had always been taught in the context of like you know a Catholic school or a South African history or an Assemblies of God school and not understanding like what was out there yeah well I mean Brittany so when we were growing up at least again let me speak my experience I don't want to put things on you but we were taught I was taught that it's young earth that the world is only a few thousand years old and if global warming is a thing it almost doesn't really matter because Jesus is coming back in our lifetime yeah Oh, totally. So, so whether or not, so the way that I was kind of taught, and this is, again, not just my parents. This is the Christian school I went to as a child. These are the churches I was around. These are the youth conferences I would go to, the books I was reading, um, you know, the CDs I was consuming, yeah. things like that. Um, you know, if we are going to be taken away soon anyway, the a conversation about something like global warming is moot. It doesn't yep. matter. Yep. So it was kind of that thing of why, you know, we're not teaching you these things because it just does not matter. Yeah. During those classes, and I, I took so many, so because it was physics, I had all these like, uh, you know, astronomy and like just stuff that I can't even put into words now because it was just like too many levels of math and things to remember. But Um, where you start talking about like different universes and and just like realizing the extent and the hugeness of the world and then starting to read about you know thinking about the creation story and I think at some point in there I just like stopped believing in creationism I was like this doesn't make any sense I don't even need proof like I just doesn't make sense from the science that I'm learning you went straight there I that- you went straight there because I I skipped it. I went from um, I w- well that's not true. I had a, I had an in between is what I mean. I had a stepping stone, which was that I went through a stage of believing that possibly God created the earth with age. Oh no, I never believed that. That was my I didn't believe it either, but it was a stepping stone of me being okay with it. That makes sense. <laughs> I think like I but honestly, even the young Earth thing. If I really go back to even high school, like. I I think I was always thinking like is this do we actually believe this like this doesn't make sense mm-hmm. to me because I'm also learning about dinosaurs and stuff like that and I'm like do we really think I mean I guess if you really do believe in a god that does miracles and things like that that he could create a world with age but yeah. the logical side of my brain from college until currently always ended up winning it feels like just pure science like 
that's what I would keep would keep running into a science issue or then a pure like yeah. social people issue that I'm like I just can't like I can't continue down this path that I was raised in mm-hmm. and at the time like Curtis he was always a few steps ahead of me in terms of um starting to what I would say I guess like slowly stepping away from our faith or religion I struggled for a long time with where he was at because he would be like questioning all these things and I wasn't quite there yet like I was ready to let go of pieces of it but then not others. So when we were at Evangel and then Missouri State, it was, this was all, I should have said this in the beginning, but this was all in Springfield, Missouri, which is like the Bible Belt. It is literally where the headquarters of the Assemblies of God it lives. Um, yeah. And even during that time, we, we always went to church. During that time, we probably tried like six different churches. And we kept trying a church and being like, ah, I don't like this. Something always didn't sit right. Like we go to one very big church and it was like women weren't allowed to be in leadership there and I was like well this is fucked up and then it was like we'd go somewhere else and then it was like all we do is speak in tongues and all we do is talk about healing and all we do is fall over and I was like this is too intense for me so we kept like again all within the assemblies of God but then we tried a couple non-denominational oh man we never found a church that we liked so didn't non-denominational at least when I was a kid it became much more common as I got older but when I was a kid non-denominational was just like worse than like they can't like atheist (laughs) exactly oh man that's tough you were hitting on something here that you know when you were young and married Mm -hmm. Curtis was a couple steps ahead of you and I can totally relate to that because I was young and married at the same time and in a Christian relationship Mm -hmm. at the time like, I guess the question is, do you feel like he ushered you in to thinking in these ways or that it was, If that means you, you can know, put all the blame on him, then yes, he <laughs> ushered me right in. It is all You know, the man is, <laughs> he's supposed to be the head of the household and he just walked you right out of the, the house of God. Yes, that's what happened. That's definitely what yeah. happened. But um, I am curious because you guys debate a lot. Like I've been, that's one of my, ha- some of my happiest memories in life are sitting around in debates with you and Curtis and like whoever else and like... Like one of you just being like, well, if you're going to say that, I'm just going to play devil's advocate. And it could be either of you. <laughs> yeah, we One do or that. the other of you. You both do. And so what my curiosity, I guess, is because you are not somebody to blindly accept things. No. So I guess my question is, did you push back on him or do you feel like he would bring things up and you started thinking about it or you were thinking about it and then he also brought it up? Um, probably all of the above, but I, like, I definitely noticed he was moving away from things before me, and it, it made me nervous, because, like, the rule follower in me just was like, nope, we gotta just keep pushing forward, but, like, Curtis was, like, my inner voice, but he was actually doing it in real life, and I was like, but I'm not ready to commit to that yet, I can't say those things out loud, unless it's us two, you know, um, Mm. I think I was ready for this years and years and years ago but I was too afraid of disappointing people and then I turned 34 and I just didn't give a fuck anymore so that's what's happened (laughs) and here we are here we are um (laughs) the whole universe decided it didn't give any this year either Brittany so you're not alone I mean I could say I want to say and Curtis you can correct me uh, later if I'm wrong about this but I feel like he's the one that introduced me to the zeitgeist movie which if you hear that word and then you're like, oh my God, so she's going down this way. I'm not going to get into a whole thing about this, but what I will say about this movie, and if you're not familiar, it's basically this um, documentary is what I would call it. And it's it's a very much about 
there's a lot of conspiracy theories in this sort of like series of documentaries that are done. Um, but the one that I watched, like the original one, the synopsis I will tell you of what I took away from it. I'm not going to describe the whole movie, but what I learned was that the Jesus story in Christianity is in a Messiah or a virgin birth or the disciples. This was not the only story in history. That sounded like, like the this. only the only Messiah story you mean? Yes, well, Sa- that of, of like virgin birth, savior, disciples, yeah. savior, similar kind of stories. And I am not saying that this made me go like, oh, well, forget Jesus. It was just it was one of those like if I'm making markers that were significant to me, that was definitely one of them because it felt like another aha moment of what the hell? How have I never heard? any of this before in my life and I can answer that question is because I've only ever heard the history of what was in the Bible I didn't even Mm -hmm. understand how the Bible was created until college that is one thing I will give evangel is like in all of my upbringing and as a Christian kid a pastor's kid maybe they taught this and I just was like doodling in my journal that week but (laughs) I don't have it in my memory of learning about the what is the, the council of Nicaea and like them deciding on all the bible books and then realizing that there's all these books that got left out like i was learning this stuff in college and i was like i learned that in my mid-20s yeah and just going like wait hold the phone like you like who said hold the phone has anybody said that in 10 years i think i whatever i'm gonna just go past that wow you are super 34 (laughs) hold the phone um <laughs> do who even holds a phone i know what? we don't yeah it's yeah. anyways um it was just this so that movie i remember curtis i'm pretty sure curtis exposed me to that and i remember having like a physical reaction i can see watching it in our apartment and just being like like what did you watch did that it? in missouri or in la oh no no this was in missouri this is all in okay. missouri Okay, so this is even before I knew you. Um, oh, yeah. This was all – and this was the thing is, like, I felt like there was these little seeds being planted of just kind of, like, making me want to understand more about what I was taught to believe. So another thing that was significant at the time was a book called Velvet Elvis by Rob Bell. And it was the first book that made me feel validated about questioning things. It's a really simple book. It's, like, super easy read. But it was like, essentially, not only is it okay to question your beliefs, and but it's also like pivotal, it's a pivotal point in building your faith. Like if you can't question, then like, it, it's like the whole, your house is built on sand kind of thing. It, it's, and I had never heard anybody talk about questioning in that way before in such a simple, easy to digest way. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely another like, if we keep like little peg or a little door that was open that kept pushing me a little bit further so that was another significant moment for me in our belief system in the assemblies of god and how we have chosen to interpret the bible which is typically in a very literal sense there's the issue of homosexuality this is like a topic that i bumped up against pretty early on like in college and trying to understand like i was very uncomfortable with it because we were taught that it's wrong we're taught that it's only a man and a woman that are supposed to be married and be together. And I think the, my first, I hate even using the word exposure, but it is like the right word to just life outside of the Assemblies of God was just literally going and working a job that didn't have to do with ministry. And that happened in college. And so I started working 
at a coffee shop and worked all kinds of different jobs, which seems so simple. But the more and more I was around people that were not like me, even within the Bible Belt of Springfield, Missouri, I started to question this idea of like, well, if God is love and like all these different things, like why is it so wrong? Even though inside I was still struggling with it because it had been like hammered into me that it was wrong. Mm -hmm. But I can tell you from watching uh, youth group sessions where people are being prayed over and trying to like essentially cast it out of them. Um, I witnessed, you know, there was people who were sent away because of it. There was all kinds of things that happened in South Africa. I don't even know what Mm -hmm. it would have been like here, but... There was just things that, like, started to just not sit well with me. And those are the things that, like, I'm not going to sit here and debate over Bible verses because I think there's just, at some point, I decided to not take the Bible as this inerrant, infallible book and see it as a historical document that is, I still think is, like, a holy book, but it was written by men, and I think that that's started to make me question a lot of what I've been, what, what I had been what taught. Is, what does holy mean to you? That's a good question. I don't know. I feel like there's sort of a reverence about it mm-hmm. is maybe the word I would use. Um, I think that's fair. And so maybe I would say a reverent book as opposed to holy, but. I think, well, you know what? I feel I just got to like throw this out there that I 100% just asked that question because Curtis would have. (laughs) (laughs) No, and as I said, that one was for you, Curtis. When I said it, I was like, that's a good question. Sorry, I keep it. Yeah, like what makes it holy? No, I interrupted you to ask the question. Not at all, Brittany. (laughs) But the reason I, I do ask that beyond Curtis is because, well, I think the thing about the Bible that's so incredible that is amazing about it is it has transcended the religion itself yeah what's amazing about it though is you're talking about like zeitgeist the movie and things there's it's not there's not one virgin birth story that has existed and some of them uh, most of them predate yeah the jesus story but for whatever reason that's the one that stuck and became most popularized and i think that the fact there's something incredible about this book it's stood and transcended the test of time to be used as we swear on a Bible in court still. Yeah. When a president is sworn into office, they swear in on the, the Bible. Holy Bible. Yeah. So it was a trick question is what I'm saying. No, totally. And that's the part <laughs> is like, I don't want anyone to come to listen to this and think that I've just like thrown the baby out with the bathwater when it comes right. to the Bible. But it, but I definitely don't look at it the way that I was taught to look at it. You know, a Bible was written in multiple languages and written for I don't even know if it was hundreds of types of people. It was not just this straightforward book. And it's, I think that we were taught to believe that we were supposed to interpret it literally, but interpret it literally. But let's just like ignore a, a bunch of um, Deuteronomy because like that doesn't apply mm-hmm. anymore. But like, oh, mm-hmm. the, all this other stuff does. And I think there was things like that that I remember being like, wait, but it says in Deuteronomy that, like, if you're on your period, you're, like, cast out of the city or, like, all these different crazy things, and we don't believe that, but yet, like, Mm -hmm. the homosexuality stuff, oh, no, that that stays true, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's super, super stuck. So, like, with the homosexuality conversation, like, one of the things that I consumed or watched was a documentary called For For the Bible Tells Me So, And that was like the first time that I'd ever seen scripture laid out in a way that was different than I had ever seen it, you know, growing up. Because Mm -hmm. it was like there's different 
um, why can I not say the word? Not interpretations. Interpre- well, is it, yeah, interpretations. Yeah. It's like if when you look at how it was interpreted from a different language and then we're interpreting it in our English language, things are lost in translation. You know, we were raised to believe it was a literal translation and I don't believe that at all anymore. And right. so, and also I don't think the Bible is infallible. So I'm just like, I'm okay with accepting the fact that the Bible is an amazing document that was written. I think it's got a ton of amazing things in it, but I don't think that we're not supposed to consider culture just in the same way that like you consider culture when you look at Deuteronomy and going like, well, that was for that time. And it's like, well, why do we not use that when it comes to our time now? But it's because it's an uncomfortable conversation for Mm -hmm. an evangelical Christian that believes in Adam and Eve. Yeah, exactly. And I... Don't I'm having a moment of like bad childhood memories um, that I will not get into. But, um, you know, we were taught to believe a lot of the time that you're only a true Christian if you believe this and you believe it this way. Mm-hmm. Okay, so when I first moved to L.A., there's that big church, which we mentioned on another episode um, in Hollywood. It's a Methodist church. And from the day I moved here, they are gay affirming. And they don't even need to be anymore because it's so normal. It's so normalized. Yeah. But when I first moved here, this big Methodist church, massive, had this huge gay flag, LGBTQ flag plus um, out front. And I I thought to myself at the time, and I'm not even ashamed of it anymore because it was part of getting me to where I am now, mm-hmm. but I, I saw it at the time and thought, they're not, like, fully Christian. Yeah. Oh, totally. Like, they're a little Christian. They're not fully Christian, and they're all going to hell. But, like, cool. They're on the right track. Yeah. Or it's and like, not oh, even because a bit on the, like, of the world side as opposed yeah. to the Christian Ooh. side. Like, pulling on your neck, yeah. you know, collar here. And and not even because I um, was not yet gay-affirming, but... Uh, which I was not, but not because I didn't want to be. I didn't know how to be yet. Uh, totally. And totally. I didn't know the reasons why um, everything I had been taught was so wrong until I watched the same documentary. Yeah. No, I, same. Homosexuality, that issue, that, and I don't even say issue, that topic, that human topic was just something that continued to be an issue that we had to work through over the next, what I would say is a decade of living in LA um, and working through different pieces of this. And I feel like it's a topic that seems to like really segregate the feelings of a different, better word, uh, differentiate maybe, but people, people. It caused divisions. Yes, this causes divisions for sure. And I think like we can see eye to eye on so many things in Christianity. And then like that was always the hot topic that was like, oh, but really do you, so you do think it's okay? And it's like mm-hmm. the unspoken thing. Um, so we can love them. We can't accept them. Yeah. I love the sinner, <laughs> hate the sin or whatever. And I later realized that I feel like that was such a cop out thing to say. Going back to through my timeline. So we moved to LA and immediately like number one priority was finding a church as we've talked about before and and what drew us to this church was well number one we knew we had one person we knew that went there and it kind of checked all the boxes like we were looking for that like diverse um community that was like helping other people like super active in the community um 
and we wanted somewhere we could get involved and like meet people, the connect groups, all that kind of stuff. It was a moment in time where I feel like we kind of stepped back into recommitting to this like, okay, we're in this church and like commit to the connect groups and kind of like abandoned the questioning for a little bit. Not completely abandoned, but like kind of put it to the side. It felt like it was more important to just like make friends. Although like the active conversation of where we were spiritually was kind of put to the wayside. I think other things were starting to open up our eyes just living in LA, like going to a church, and this sounds so stupid to even say, but it's like people just dressed differently. It was like people were more open. It wasn't like, oh my God, she's wearing like a a tank top at church. It was just like Mm -hmm. things I was used to from Springfield that was super- Yeah, well, (laughs) you came from a culture where they made you wear pantyhose, and if you didn't, you were in trouble. Exactly, exactly. So it was very refreshing. um, As We haven't ever told the story, but like- you know, one of the first times that Curtis and I, and then at the time Tiffany and her ex-husband uh, hung out, where we were taking you home from church, or what was the situation? Where, we like, were stopping to get lunch. You were taking us home, but we were going to stop and get lunch together. Oh, yes. At Mel's yes, Diner. Yes. So we were like, yeah, we were in the car, and it's, I'm sure Tiffany could tell the story better, but it was like, basically- I've already like, thought about it twice during this but, like, came out, came out, or, okay, why don't you just tell the story? Because I feel like so, you're better at it. I love that like we're reading each other's minds right now. And if I tell the wrong story, it's going to be so embarrassing. No, but I feel Brittany like and on, Curtis, you know where we're going. Yeah. So we had like connected and it had been pretty recent. Like it had been like less than a month. Yeah. And we were like, let's go to church the same service. And this is a massive church where you have like multiple uh, services. So we're like, yeah, we'll go to the same one. It's definitely the late service because I like to sleep in. <laughs> so we met for the late service. And I feel like you must have picked us up to take us if we were driving home so. together. I feel like that you must, have. must have happened. Yeah. So we drove down and we're driving home and we're going to Mel's diner for lunch, right? And you turned around in the car. Mm-hmm. Are we telling the same story? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So Brittany turns around in the car and she goes, do you guys drink? <laughs> and I, I remember squeezing his arm and going, what do we like? What do we say? Because, yes, we definitely drink. But what do we say? <laughs> and the way you said it, because the word drink and I'll tell you why. Let me tell you why. <laughs> the word drink is so sinful. Yeah. That is such a sinner's word. Like you drink. Y'all drink. Yeah. <laughs> like it's such like an alcohol. Well, I don't know. It's an alcoholic word. And I just remember just being like, oh, my God, maybe it's because they're South African. They just can say things like that that us Americans cannot. <laughs> no, it's just because um, I'm I'm Brittany Betzer McConnell. You're just so open. And that I just am like, this is, I just have a question. Yes. Yeah, you just have a question. And you were also pregnant at the time. Oh, yeah. So I didn't know. I was like, I don't know how to say this. And then thankfully, like, you asked the question and you saved the day because you were like, so we found this place. It's called the Hungry Cat. Oh, yeah. And they make the best cocktails ever. And they make this Greyhound and it's fresh grapefruit juice and fresh vodka. I'm like, I didn't know vodka couldn't be fresh, but fresh everything. And you're telling me and I was like, oh, my God. So we went to Mel's and I feel like we did we get I feel like we got like an alcoholic milkshake or something did. after church on did. a Sunday. Yeah, I think we did. <laughs> but it's so funny because it wasn't until like the story was oh. being told to another person that like <laughs> I have a memory of asking that question and it just being like, oh yeah, I just asked. And then I remember you telling the part of like in your position because I'd never, because I wasn't thinking, I just asked. That's just yeah. me. And you, and I can totally see that now from your perspective being like, oh my God, what do we say? What do we say? What do we say? And I'm just, just like, oh, but yeah, do you guys drink? Like... Yeah, totally. It was so casual. It was, just- <laughs> it was 
It was so casual because you were sitting front seat shotgun and I was sitting catacorner to you in the back seat. So like you were looking over your shoulder at me and I'm like reaching down below you behind you to like squeeze his arm like, and be oh like, my God. say something. Uh, but yeah. And, and it was so refreshing though, because, and I don't know exactly where you were going with the story, no, yeah. but it was so refreshing because yeah. it was this thing of being like, oh, like we can be um, Christians and like 20 years old yeah and 23 like years old alcohol and that was my own I could do a whole episode about like getting over the uh burden or the shame of drinking um but that's its own thing because that definitely came along with my upbringing yeah. and how it was like wrong but whatever I don't need to get to all of that but I but I think like what you're saying it was just like slowly we were around people that we were like okay we can be Christians and maybe to outsiders it was like oh we're yeah. like half doing christians but it was like oh this is a little more palatable for me to be able to like this is terrible but like of the world and not just like mm-hmm. on the side of the world and that was really refreshing um, it was i think it was pivotal for me I it was so. pivotal for me because i had just moved here from gainesville florida college town but the friends that i had there there was one person i knew two people who would like have a margarita or a glass of wine and only one of them would only ever have wine that's all she would touch period yeah and then the other friend was like whatever she was like what i would call normal yeah but um but my ex-husband and I like we spent our Friday nights at TGI Fridays because it was late night happy hour two for one drinks and we were broke college students and we had the (laughs) best time we had so much fun and then meeting you guys and it was just like this thing of like I felt like when I met you guys and like being in LA in general it was this thing of like I can stop hiding yeah Oh, I totally agree and feel and that. I, and I don't mean sinning. I'm not like, that's the no, thing. I, it was just like, like, oh, I was hiding this like severe sin. No, yeah. no, it would. I totally feel that it was it, it definitely was the same. But then I think one of like one of the biggest things for me in all of this, honestly, was reading another Rob Bell book, which was um, this guy, this guy. Yes. And this was a very highly polarizing book. And it was called Love Wins. What's funny is when I was talking about this to Curtis, like, I have a very specific thing that came out of that book, but then I kind of forgot about what the whole rest of the book was about. I mean, my takeaway from that book was questioning the existence of hell. It was the most compelling argument against hell as, like, people who had just always kind of blindly accepted the idea of it existing. And it was really what I struggled with even growing up was like if if God is this God of love like would he really send people to hell like eternal damnation like why Mm -hmm. is why would he not give everybody a chance and like all this kind of stuff so it was really a turning point for me and where things started to unravel because this idea and I wasn't I didn't read it and was just like oh done I don't believe in hell but it was like again planting this idea of like let's take that away let's just say there's no hell or that we don't need hell. Then it starts to unravel a lot of the sort of evangelical part of my upbringing. Not so much like the existence of God or Jesus, but just like what the point of what I was taught to believe was, which was like evangelizing to people to make sure they don't go to hell. Like that was Mm -hmm. the point. And I think if we removed that, then it made me question like, well, then what was the point? Mm -hmm. So that, that for me was pretty pivotal in my in my walk 
walking away from religion. Yeah. <laughs> um, In your walk with Jesus. <laughs> yeah, walk from Jesus. Um, yeah. And I think, so o- Oasis kind of led, so that whole time there, um, again, I would, wouldn't change anything because that's where I met my best friend and closest friends. Um, but it, at some point we had, we had kids pretty soon into going to being in LA. Um, we volunteered a ton and honestly, we were just like exhausted from all of it. And as much as I think, um, Oasis had great intentions and was trying to do good things, it felt very like, I got very tired of this whole like prosperity gospel message a lot of these mega churches in LA there's like sometimes celebrities in them and different things and there was just things we were around that started feeling kind of like icky that was like it felt more like rah rah church and less like well what what's the point of this and it, it was just exhausting you know if you really look at our lifetime we had been going to church like more than any other like any other activity in our life so yeah, well, I think it was always yeah. that, like, it sounds like at least that it's always this thing of like, oh, there's a barometer. Like, there's, you need to be meeting these goals, these standards. It's almost like a sales goal where, yeah. like, if you're not serving enough, and that's the word they use to describe volunteering, if you're not serving, yeah. um, like, what are you doing? Are you, you know, that is the manifestation of your faith. Yeah. And I don't even completely disagree. Like, yeah. even now, I'm like, if you believe in something, you got to, like, show up for it. I guess. Um, And also one of the most beautiful parts about mega churches like this, um, the ones that are doing anything is they're very involved in social justice and things like that. And, you know, they're the ones that are down in downtown LA with our 80,000 homeless people feeding them. That's amazing and incredible. Do they need to be saved from hell? I don't think so. But um, there is so much value in that. And I think that's amazing, yeah. and I love what they do. But it, it, at the same time, it, it I'm with you, Brittany. It was it was exhausting because it was always even if you are doing that, what else can you be doing? What else yeah. could you do here? Do you want like? Can we just get you on staff? You want to yeah. let's put you on? You know, like mm-hmm. what's the next thing? And it, it 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 felt like that thing of whatever I do is never enough, and yes. you're always trying to prove something. Yeah. So. You were at, you know, an LA megachurch for some time, which, by the way, was non-denominational, right? Yes. Like, you didn't have one. Yeah. <laughs> Look at our, us heathens. We would already I know. One, toe, one toe out, one in, exactly, one out. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so what made you put your whole foot out and, like, what happened next? So you're like, okay, Oasis is, it met a need yes. and certain needs at the time, but then it was almost like it sounds, in a certain way, like you outgrew it. That's how it felt. Like, what I would have said back then was like it felt like Oasis or any other mega church at that time was kind of like the dessert or like the appetizer. It was very palatable. It was kind of something that would appeal to like a general audience. But like in terms of really getting into the nitty gritty stuff, there was no like meat and potatoes, no sustenance. And at this point in my life, if I was still going to continue to follow this path of um, religion or following Jesus, I was kind of like, I'm only interested at this point if I'm going to learn something that I haven't learned before. Because I've heard all the stories. I've heard all the, all of it, like a million times over from being a pastor's kid. That's how I felt. And so we basically made the decision, and it was funny because at the time our 
group of friends, like, we did not make the decision all together. It was, like, literally, little by little, people started leaving that church. Well, we all read a few books at the same time, though, too. Oh, is this the Francis Chan one? Well, no? we read Francis Chan, yes, but we also read Love Wins, and then we read a Peter Rollins book. Oh, yes. A bunch yes. of us did at yeah. the same time. So we were all kind of starting to experience the same thing the same thing at the same time yeah it just really questioning and that was like when there were so many different like not arguments just debates about the stuff and I think we were all at different places because I think a lot of people were like so ready to just leave the church in general like not oasis but just like the big the broader when you say the church and then some of us like myself included I was still kind of like yeah, but I'm not ready to give up the ritual of it. I'm not sure that I'm totally out. Like, I'm still not completely comfortable with, mm-hmm. like, I was like, I don't know what I believe anymore. And so at some point, we just were like, okay, well, let's maybe start considering looking for another church. And Peter Rollins, who is a philosopher that's written several books that was also very pivotal to our kind of changing our, our story, our religion deconstruction our- story. <laughs> our exodus um he actually was giving kind of like a talk at a local church and if you know anything about peter rollins he also is somebody who could be probably pretty polarizing to some and when we realized that a church was hosting him that also says a lot about the church church, and like what they're open to and what the kind of conversations they may be having at the church so that the church that hosted him was called central avenue which is in glendale it's a little, it's a little church, um, but it was the place that we eventually found to be our church home for like several years after Oasis. Uh, the The pastor likes to joke that it's kind of like a church of recovering fundamentalists. It's kind of like AA for all of us uh, people leaving the evangelical world and really trying to like kind of deconstruct your faith and understand it in a new way or take you just completely take it apart. And the more that I listened to the pastor there, who was amazing, and it was, like, exactly what we needed at that time in our lives, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of like, and he also jokes about this, that he's almost, like, preaching himself out of a job because (laughs) eventually it's, like, it was, like, therapy. It was, like, really looking at the Bible and looking at things I had been taught growing up in a new light and with like looking at different interpretations and it was also a church that was surrounded it was like full of people that from fundamentalists or like past evangelicals but also like all different kinds of denominations and that was very interesting as well so it was very educational I think and totally once again gay affirming and and not gay accepting like oh you can be gay and come here and you can tell us you're gay but we'll try to pray it out of you it's like no you can come here and be gay and worship Jesus and we will marry you when you find who you want to marry yes Yes. no I'm glad (laughs) you brought that up I totally forgot about that but I feel like the through line yes was like that was a huge turning point where I was just like oh wow this is this is like where we want to be and like really looking at the social justice issues in our world and community and actually like trying to do something about them and not just talking about it or being uncomfortable to talk about it yeah and I love what you said challenging things challenging things and I love what you said about the pastor saying you know like trying to work himself out of a job because it's like if you're like a good any type of coach or trainer that's what you do is you give people the tools to not need you anymore yeah and well 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 done pastor well done pastor 
Because I haven't we- been. <laughs> yeah, I think the last time I went um, was Easter of 2017. But before that, the last time I went was one of the last services where you led worship. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. And I cried. Like, we locked eyes and I cried. And I was like, I I got to get the hell out of here. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, that was a pivotal time. It's like one little thing at a time. And some people would call that a slippery slope. And I would call it, um, I would call that. Enlightenment. I don't know. Grace. (laughs) Like, what did you say? Enlightenment. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I prefer the word grace. Grace. It's very Christian. The word grace is. Yeah. yeah. And I think during that time, just to give perspective of where we were in life, like just family wise, like our kids at that time would have been like two and or three and five. And it, life just felt really busy. Like it was the, just practically speaking, we were hitting a point where we were like questioning what we believed, continuing to go to church because like we liked the experience we liked our friend seeing our friends there it was definitely a ritual and we were used to doing it every week and we definitely were like questioning if this is something we should let go of because honestly with two working parent two parents working full-time and the kids in daycare our weekends were the only time to spend time together and it really made me start to question like what is the point of this is this where we should be spending our time Mm because for me I that was not the most important thing well it's like if you fully believe like if you're just in it fully believe yeah do you need that ritual to continue fully believing and practicing your faith faith no yeah and if you do not believe anymore are you just wasting your time <laughs> at yeah. a place where you don't even believe what they're teaching anyway so what I'm I guess what I'm saying is church is pointless <laughs> well that's the part I I'm think, just kidding but like I am but I? like nim yeah and that's the part I no. think that it continued to let us lead us down that path of ultimately leaving church so during after central we made a very uh crazy decision last minute to decide to leave la and we moved to kansas city for two years no big deal that was a thing that was a thing i saw my therapist about it i saw my therapist guys yeah it's (laughs) we it was it was a big it was a big moment in our life and, and I don't regret it. Yeah. I, I don't regret it for you either. Yeah. Just think, because now you own a home. Now <laughs> and I got, that is exactly what I say too. That's I'm the like, reason why. And I got you back. Yeah. And I came back. But in that move though, I think the final nail in the coffin when it comes to like going to church was when we moved to Kansas City, we were kind of like, look, if we move, it was partly laziness and also just, I think, really coming to terms with where we were. It was like listen we're not going to find a church like central avenue like if we're going to go to church it's going to have to be like central avenue that's just that was like the stipulation if Mm -hmm. we're going to continue kind of ritual thing that we go on sundays for like doing learning to be good humans for the kids to be around some sort of like religious format we need that kind of thing and then and we were kind of unwilling to look that hard because we weren't very convinced that you, you would find that in kansas city missouri And so we basically just kind of like initially put it on hold and then that turned into just kind of making the decision of like, we're not going to go to church anymore. It felt very much like how, what I was comfortable with, where it was just slowly like, yeah, we're just, we just won't go for a few weeks. Uh, Maybe we'll go try something. Uh." And then all of a sudden, two years later, we haven't been to church one time. So that kind of, for me, was like the end of going to church. And that took a while for me to feel comfortable with not going to church anymore. 
and again, through saying not going to church, I was still wrestling through like what I really believed. Did I believe in God? Did I believe Jesus was the son of God? What did I, what, what did I even believe? And I came to terms, I came to a point of being comfortable with not knowing. Mm. And that's kind of where I've lived for a long time. I don't really believe in hell. I don't, I'm comfortable with just not fully under knowing or understanding what I believe. And since we moved back to LA, we've been to church one time. We went for Easter and it was like, okay, yeah, I think we're good. Isn't it so funny? Cause when we were growing up, there were those Easter and Christmas families and it was like, oh man, they're found. They must be alcoholics. Yep. And you and, know, we, and we are. <laughs> oh. we're not mom and dad we're not but no it's, it's but joke. you know what it's I mean like it was always yeah. that judgment of like I don't know and then you become that we become that and uh have a lot of grace I think I, there's that word again for the judgment I had on people in the past growing up yeah and I think throughout all of this too I, I guess I didn't even get into any of this is like you know we work Curtis and I work in the television industry, but I think just working anywhere in Los Angeles, you're surrounded with people that are very different than you. And a lot of people that are also the same, but it's like this melting pot of just, it's what I love about the city. You know, I've met people that are so similar to me, like Tiffany in terms of upbringing and then people that are like, I can't even fathom the the way they were raised. And what that has done for me in terms of choosing religion or not is just open my eyes to everything else that's out there and realizing that just because I was taught one way is the only way that that's not necessarily true and that Mm -hmm. I can choose to believe that or not and it just cannot be yeah the accident of birth and where you are born dictates what you are going to grow up believing period totally all of the decisions that have led me to where I am now all come this has not been something that's been done in a frivolous manner. Like, I'm not just willy-nilly going like, yeah, no, I just don't feel like believing in Jesus anymore. Like, yeah, I, I'm bored I can't, or I, yeah, I'm exhausted. I, I'm bored. Like, that's I all it is. I can't no. stress the amount of stress that this has <laughs> caused in my life over the years of making a decision of what to do. Because, honestly, the easiest thing for me sometimes would feel like, let's just keep doing it because, like, let it rather better be safe than sorry what I struggled with was that in order to continue to believe the way I'd been taught to believe meant going against so many issues that I just fundamentally don't believe should be an issue. Like Mm -hmm. homosexuality being wrong. Don't believe it. It took me years and years. Like I'm ashamed at how long it took me to really work through that concept that it's not wrong. But I, I don't know. I, and I feel so free not being so bogged down by all of these rules that I feel like are kind of antiquated. Like, I, I feel like I'm all over the yeah, place. Yeah, no, not even kind of. <laughs> they're, they're antiquated. They are antiquated. <laughs> I, I have a few, like, final follow-up questions for you. Go for it. So I want to know, like, do you believe in the idea of salvation and the idea that Jesus is, like, the way, the truth, and the life? No. <laughs> oh. Do you believe in heaven and hell? Um, I don't believe in hell in the sense of like could go somewhere and be damned for all eternity. So no. And 
do I believe in heaven? I believe if there's a heaven, then the concept is more fluid than like just an afterlife that like there could be heaven here on earth as I think is talked about in the Bible as well. But I think I would love to believe that there's, we go somewhere after we die. But I, my thing is that I don't need that to be true either way. So like, I'm not going to change my life based on the idea that there's a possibility of an eternal damnation in my future. I feel like we should Mm -hmm. be living life as if this is the only life we have to live. And why shouldn't people just be deciding to be good people just because they should be good people and not because they're threatened by eternal Mm -hmm. damnation? Oh, man, I thought that like for such a long time. Okay, do you feel like reverse fear now? Like, we were raised in such a fearful kind of culture, like, heaven, hell, save everyone, we're eternal damnation. Do you ever fear now that you could be wrong and all of that was right? I do fear that sometimes, but then I have to consciously remind myself of exactly what you just said, that we were raised in with this, like, fear mentality. And so I think it's something that's really hard to get rid of. It's like trying to get rid of a language that you learned. It's like it's ingrained Mm. in you, even if you learn a new language. I think it's always going to be a part of my identity to some degree. And I think there's always going to be a part of me that's kind of like, should I, should, do I need to say the sinner's prayer? Because it's just like, I really Mm -hmm. feel like I might go to a hell that I don't really believe in. I think overall though, I, the further away I get from it, the less fear I have, the less Mm -hmm. I question if I'm making the right decision. And the more that I honestly believe that like, if there's a God that is truly a God of love, that, he will truly know my heart as I was taught growing up and that it's not, I don't believe that it in this whole, like everybody needs to say the sinner's prayer and, and all of that. I don't. Something that I have found through all of this is they, you know, a lot in the Christian faith, especially in the evangelical, you, you know, God is a God of hope and we have hope and faith and all these things about what's next. And what's ironic for me, at least is I have less fear than ever and more hope than ever. I totally agree with that. I totally agree I have more hope than ever that like, I don't know what comes after this life, but like what I hope for it. Um, Because before it's like, I'm not spending my time hoping that this person who never said the sinner's prayer, who's my best friend in sixth grade is going to hell. Like that's fear. That's scary. And now I feel more hope than ever that there is grace and I don't know what's next. I don't know if there is anything at all, but like I don't have the fear of that unknown. I just have a lot of hopes and like dreams for it, I guess. Yeah, no, I totally, I totally agree with that. And I feel like, I think it, it probably seems crazy to somebody to think that like the idea of Jesus just being a person as opposed to him being divine is like such a crazy concept Mm -hmm. but I've reached a point in my life where like I don't it sounds maybe so like not callous but just sort of like definitely sacrilegious whatever you're definitely sacrilegious (laughs) I don't need him to be divine in order to think he was an amazing prophet and person and that his teachings were ones that I think are very valid and important just like I think Gandhi was a great person but like I'm not I the the point of it is I just don't need Jesus to be the son of God because 
I don't need the Bible to be the sole proprietor proprietor of truth. Mm. But it feels very, very flippant to kind of say things like this. Why do we need these very like binary concepts of good and evil? And kind of what we were just talking about with heaven and hell, like why do you need the a divine being or the threat of eternal damnation or the promise of eternal reward and all of these doctrines to help you understand that you need to like love your neighbor as yourself Mm -hmm. or care for those in need if you really are a good like a truly good person doing all the things without the incentive Mm. of the of heaven like isn't that really what we should be striving for totally that's like the most altruistic of them all yeah is the person who does it with no um yeah no reward no reason no incentive Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. Oh, man. And that's a whole other thing. How many things I used to do because uh, it's getting me like basically brownie points, essentially. Oh, yeah. Now now I'm going to get an even bigger house in heaven because I did this thing where I saved and, 70 oh, people. Totally. Or just like even like, oh, this like really reinforces that I really meant it when I said the sinner's prayer for the 70th time last night. Yeah. I think the what I would assume people's concerns, like our family's concerns at least for me and our family is like, well, what does this mean for like our kids and stuff? And honestly, I don't know. And I'm not too concerned about it. They, they were in church towards the beginning of their life and now they're not. And I don't want to raise them in any particular religious group right now. Like I would rather just teach them basic moral principles without like all the caveats of having to ask Jesus into your heart and all, whatever all that means. Like, the whole mm-hmm. like life without Jesus is like a donut. You have there's a hole in the middle of your heart. Like I I don't want them to be raised thinking that they're so imperfect and sinners and all these things. And yes, they are flawed beings. It's not to say that like they don't need to work on being good people, but it just feels like this idea of always needing something to fill something in you perpetuates an idea that like is carried out throughout people's lives, not just in religion, but like People needing relationships to fill them. People needing alcohol or other crutches to fill them because of this, like, idea that I feel like is taught in our doctrine that I just do not abide by. Yeah. Do you, did you, like, so through this whole thing of, like, the stepping away and, like, coming to these different conclusions, did you have moments looking back on your rearing? What a gross word. (laughs) You're rearing. You're rearing. That is a terrible. What a dumb word. Yeah, that is a terrible. But like, (laughs) do you look back when you were being raised or your childhood and think like those were the, some of the more specific things that kept you from walking away? Like you kept going back to, but what about this? Like, I mean. Definitely a fear thing. It was always fear. Like, did you see miracles and things that like you were like, but no, this did happen. I saw somebody. Yeah, I saw this happen to somebody, so I know that it must be real. I feel like I did see some things in South Africa that now, though, I can't specifically say if what I saw was like something more like hypnotic. Oh, I feel like I'm gonna get judged so hard by what I'm saying, but like I, I don't recall specific healings that couldn't have been something that's like explainable yeah kind of but but I but I don't know like maybe my parents would be like no you were right there when like somebody was blind and now they can see but like I don't 
I think I used to think that I saw more than I realized than I did because I would like really wanted to believe that I did. Yeah. Um, I think what I was hanging on to more than anything was just the fear of like, well, what if I am wrong and I walk away and I and there is a hell, but I'm also not going to continue to live my life in fear of something that I really don't believe in. And like the freedom that has come with not worrying about that all the time and getting to learn about other religions and other things that people were raised in, I just, I can't go back now. You can't unsee what you have seen, and that's kind of how I feel now. You know what they say? What? Once you backslide, you can't front slide. Because <laughs> that's true. how, like, directions and gravity and stuff works. <laughs> that's how it works. <laughs> okay, I have one final question for you. I think it's the final question I have for you. Go for it. Do you identify as a Christian? No. And that's hard to say because I feel like based on the idea that Christian means you believe that Jesus is the son of God and yeah, is that what we're establishing as a Christian essentially? Yeah. Well, I think it for how we were raised, it's you believe Jesus was the son of God, is the son of God, and that, you know, he died on the cross for our sins and we must follow him accept him yeah as our personal lord and savior to be accepted into heaven yeah by that definition i would say no yeah and if you ask what do i believe now i the answer is i i don't have a specific belief system that i'm following at this point other than trying to be the best person i can to my fellow humans around me and teach that to my kids and i don't even have like if i don't have a problem with anybody in the practice of Christianity itself, I guess. No, same. And I guess, like, like, I guess. Cool, whatever. Yeah. And I should probably clarify that, too, is if you've made it this far and you heard the answer to the question, I definitely am. I think initially when I was going, working through all of this in myself, I felt like this need to, like, almost evangelize on the other direction Mm -hmm. and kind of, like, tell, show people the light, which is why I keep joking about enlightenment. But I don't feel that way now. I feel very much like I'm comfortable with where I am. I'm also comfortable with like where my parents are. Like I'm comfortable with it as long as it's not hurting people. And I do think there are things we were raised in that are hurting people. And that I have a big problem with. Um, Completely agree, Brittany. I was talking about this with my boyfriend earlier tonight. I completely agree. I'm like, listen, the Bible, you know, Jesus taught some real, some good shit, man. Like he, Jesus was on some good shit. Like yeah. <laughs> across the board. The problem is I think it has been so bastardized. And then, you know, the these religious tenets make it into our politics and, um, you know, are used against other human beings. Mm-hmm. And that's where I do draw the line. I do have a problem. But like with your private practice of whatever you believe and, you know, cool. Yeah. That's OK. I, I, I that's totally okay. agree. Totally agree. Yeah. And that's my, again, that's my opinion. Me saying it's okay. I don't have to give you permission. We don't have to give anyone permission. Just like no one has to give any to us. Yeah. Wow. How do you feel? You did it. I feel good, but I also feel like there's so much we could talk about. And it's like, let's make this a seven hour podcast. But no. There's so much. There is so much. Like even talking about prayer, it's like, do you believe in prayer? Eh, Not really. Well, that's a huge part of my like uh, walking away. Yeah. Like, I remember the last time I prayed specifically, 
and how that was going to be it. Yeah, and I don't have I don't have a significant thing with that other than just like it's just never been a part of something that I have found to be helpful. Um, I could mm-hmm. see like I feel like the way meditation has like that I've learned about that. I I think maybe I was just always doing it wrong, and and it's not intended to actually be something that's you pray for a job and then a job comes. Like, I don't think that, I don't believe in any of that. But I'm also open to the idea of like kind of putting things out there. Maybe there is a sort of universe type of thing. And it sounds probably kind of strange to some people, but I'm, I'm open to that idea of like a kind of a God that is sort of made up of all of our, there's gotta be parts of us that we don't still don't even understand. And I'm fine with not knowing. Yeah. Brittany, the only thing worse than a non-denominational church is like a universalist church. So Yeah, and then I'm realizing like maybe that's exactly what I should be going to. <laughs> <laughs> like agape or something. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Yeah, no, this is just the beginning of this conversation, Brittany. Don't you worry. I think uh, this is like a good starting place of describing our end. I think so too. And I think it'll make us more comfortable to talk about maybe specific issues if you kind of understand where we're coming from um and even if you never listen to this which you won't you know if you don't you won't hear me say this but I feel like (laughs) (laughs) did a tree make a sound in the forest yeah exactly but I think that like for even our own sake this has been the podcast we've been putting off for a while to really even though you probably all gather where we stand at this point it's like this is putting it out there and then I think it'll feel more freedom to maybe be more forthcoming about some other topics. Yeah. Just let it all out. Yeah, you're setting the foundation for your truth. But I'm excited to hear about your truth next week or two weeks from now. Yes. Whenever we decide because we're the bosses. I know. Whenever (laughs) we decide. Brittany, I appreciate your vulnerability. Thank you. Thanks for sticking with us. And I'm really excited to hear your story. So stay tuned in a few weeks for the big tell-all of Tiffany Morgan. Oh, man. It's just depressing, and, like, it's, it's like, going to be cause for concern for a lot of people I know, <laughs> hey, as is, will is yours. This not what this, uh, yeah, is this not what this podcast has been? Is just one big cry for help? Yeah, you know? I guess so. What if that's – oh, my gosh. Um, yes, okay. Thank you for your vulnerability. I am Tiffany. And I am Brittany. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.